You are listening to What in the Horror with your host Lando and Tim. Welcome back to yet another episode of What in the Horror with your host Lando and Tim. Today we will be reviewing Psycho from 1960 and Land of the Dead from 2005. So since this is Tim's turn to be going first, we will go with Psycho from 1960. Take it away, Tim. Okay. Um... As a prerequisite, we were picking our favorite directors. Uh, mine is, has always been Alfred Hitchcock, um, especially considering the time when he did the horror movies and stuff. Very excellent director. But starts off um, during a Friday afternoon tryst with a, at a Phoenix hotel, real estate secretary, Marianne Crane, and her boyfriend, Sam Loomis, discuss their inability to get married because of Sam's debts including like his alimony to his wife. And he he just tells her he doesn't want to live in the back of some shack someplace because they can't afford to live anywhere. And uh, kind of leave it at that. Whereas if they had more money, they'd possibly get married. Well, Marion returns to work and while she gets this like tycoon to come in with her boss, even though she's a little bit late to work, she managed out okay because he wasn't back yet. And this guy had uh, $40,000 cash to buy his daughter a house. Well, the boss uh, takes the cash payment and tells her he doesn't want it in the office for the weekend that she she should leave with it. And because Marion already had uh, displayed that she had a slight headache, she used that excuse to go home early. And instead of going home early and laying down for the weekend, like she said she was going to, she decided to steal the cash, packs her bags, and starts heading out to uh, surprise her boyfriend after she finds out her sister's going to be away for the weekend on holiday. So as she's driving out of town, she actually sees her boss and the uh, other guy, and her boss notices her slightly for a moment at a crosswalk because they're walking across the street in front of her. So that was the first thing that started making her nervous on her trip. Well, on her route, she um, was driving along and decided she got too sleepy, pulled over, and, and a uh, police officer pulls up behind her, pulls by her, backs up, pulls up behind her, and questions her about her um, why she is there and if she's okay because she seems there. And she even asked, why do I seem like I'm off officer? He goes, quite frankly, yes. So he kind of follows her. Then he pulls off. She thinks she's away from him. She goes to trade in her car at this point on another vehicle. And the, the uh, car guy that uh, she's trading the car into gets a little weird because he's pressuring her usually. But in this case, she was pressuring him just to hurry up and make the deal. As she's sitting there doing this, the police officer pulls across the street and just stands there with his arms crossed uh, against the door of his car watching her. Well, she um, makes a deal, trades in her car, and pays $700 cash. Remember, this movie's from the 60s. That's a lot of money back then. Uh, $700 cash for the car with no negotiation at all. She just goes ahead and pays what he asked at first, which really seemed bizarre to the uh, to the salesperson. Then she, the police officer pulls in as she's getting her paperwork and stuff and getting into the car, the police officer pulls into the dealership and she starts to drive off without her luggage that the uh, mechanic they had checking over her car came out with her luggage and stuff, put it in the back of the car and takes off. So she starts having these like thoughts and processes of what they could be talking about. And you hear their voices, but it's like what kind of discussions they're having. The fact that she didn't come into work on Monday, her sister's looking for her and all these things. Well, she drives along and she, um, Starts to get tired again and decides to pull over at this uh, motel called the Bates Motel, lo- uh, located off the main highway. But she didn't realize that she was off the main highway at the time um, until he, until the attendant there told her. So 
Oh, she gets there. And Norman Bates is the attendant. He's also um, the son of the owner, which is his mother. And she sees uh, the mother up in the uh, window of the house. But she uh, he descends from the large house, comes down, talks to her, register in under her assumed name. She makes up a name and invites her to dine with him because she, you know, had you have you eaten? No. And he goes up and he says, I can't do much for you because of the uh, place down the road is not is the diner is down the road a ways. But she was, didn't want to go there. It was raining really hard. So he went and made some sandwiches and brought him down. Well, he comes down from the house. He talks her into going to the parlor behind the uh, behind the desk where the sign ins are. And I sit in there and she notices all the bird uh, stuff, birds and stuff that he apparently does for taxidermy as a hobby of his. Well, eating the sandwiches, but he gets a little weird with her about different things. And um, while she was in there waiting, while she was waiting for the food, you could hear his mother yelling at him and saying that no woman should be there and being kind of weird and jealous. Well, while during this conversation, the reason he got weird is because she was telling him, maybe you should leave your mother, you know, and go somewhere else and start over. Because that's what he was telling her, you know, people have a past and maybe they're trying to escape from and all kinds of things make mistakes and she takes it upon herself to try and talk him into doing something for him too and he just takes it really poorly starts to get a little upset with her so after the dinner's over and everything um she goes in and goes to take a shower in her room well he goes back into the parlor takes a picture off the wall and is watching her get undressed for the shower through this peephole and then uh as he puts it back in as she's in the shower all of a sudden this female figure comes with a with a butcher knife. Well, like a yeah, kitchen knife, I should say, and stabs her uh, repeatedly. And then there's blood falling into the drain. It's kind of those cutscene things. I mean, this is classic psycho. If anybody's ever even seen commercials on it, it's the ring, ring, ring thing where stabs her down and there's blood circling the drain. She falls down with her eye open to do a really cool close up of the eye, not moving, and then a little bit of other stuff. Because she had already hidden the money in a newspaper, put it on a, the dresser, um, had done some figuring to try and talk. And what she decided with Norman was, after talking to him, is that she was going to go back and return the money. But she was like $800 short. And that's what the paper was that she tried flushing down the toilet after she ripped it up because she couldn't find another place to get rid of it. Well, she's dead, falls out of the tub. And as she falls, she pulls down the shower curtain. So female figure runs out. Shortly after, Norman comes running in. And he's afraid that it's his mother, you know, had done this because she has an illness. And he starts to clean up, lays down the shower curtain on the rug in the other room, puts the body on it, wraps up the body, puts it in the trunk of her car, gets in there with a mop bucket and uh, some of the towels, cleans up the room really uh, kind of spotless in the bathroom, picks up on all of her stuff, throws it in the trunk with her, including at the last minute where you think he's going to forget the newspaper, he grabs the newspaper and throws it in unknowingly throwing in 40,000, the rest of the $40,000, and then proceeds to push the car into, uh, drive the car out to the swamp and push it in. Watches it go down. It looks like it's not going to go all the way down. He looks really nervous for a moment. And then a couple of lugs of air and it's gone. And then uh, Marion's, Marion's sister arrives, Lila arrives in Fairville a week later, tells Sam about the theft and talks to him thinking he was in on it, realizing not likely, but not, not sure. And demands to know the whereabouts of his, his sister in case he does know something. And that she can return the money still. They didn't want to do any legal action. They just want the money back. Because this guy is actually being decent about it. They're trying not to 
ruin her life. He denies knowing anything about her disappearance. And a disappearance. A private investigator named Arbogast approaches them, saying he's been hired to retrieve the money. Arbogast stops and at the Bates Motel to question Norman, whose nervous behavior and inconsistent answers arouse suspicion. I mean, he tries telling he didn't see her, then he saw her, then he talks about no one had been there for two weeks, and then there was another couple there, and then, oh, yep, she's there, and she signed in the book, and the book actually had parts, uh, the name she had chose had parts of her boyfriend's name, so he got a little suspicious. He examines the guest register, discovers the handwriting and that of that name also matches Marion's handwriting the night she spent at the motel, and when... Uh, he wants to talk to Norman's mother once he finds out about her because the Norman said something about his mother and he, he suspects his mother, even if she has an illness, mental illness, might still be able to shed some light on what where maybe Marion had went. But Norman gets really upset with him and talks him into leaving, uh, tells him he has said all about, about all he's going to say to him. And Arbogast even threatens as far as to go for a warrant to talk to her. And he, go, he asks him to leave. Well, Arbogast goes to the phone. And calls up, uh, winds up being uh, Lila, the sister, is actually who hired him. Well, I'm not sure if it, it might have been the bank, uh, bank owner or whatever, but she's a part of it with him. And also says that she doesn't, at this point, he's almost 100% certain that the boyfriend had nothing to do with it. Didn't even know she was coming. But he says he's going to go back to the uh, hotel and try to talk to the mother. And he'd phone again an hour later, phone in in an hour or show up and meet them, whichever. And after he, he enters the Bates' home in search of Norman's mother, a shadowy figure emerges in the bedroom and stabs him to death. Again, looks like a female figure in a dress. And then uh, Lila and Sam don't hear from Arbogast. And Lila wants to go, but doesn't really know the area. Sam says, you'll never find it anyway. One of us needs to stay here in case Arbogast comes back. Talks her into staying when he goes out and checks out the motel. He sees a figure in the house whom he assumes is Norman mother, Norman's mother. Lana and Sam uh, alert the local sheriff about this afterwards and tell him that Norman's mother, and that's when they found out Norman's mother died from a murder-suicide 10 years earlier. So it couldn't have been her. The, the sheriff suggested Arbogast lied to Sam and Lila so he could pursue Marion and the money. Or maybe he actually had already found Marion and the money. But they're convinced, uh, especially Lila convinced after talking to uh, Arbogast on the phone, he sounded really concerned and sounded like, Something was really off with, you could tell from his voice, he, he didn't seem like the type. Didn't get that feel from him. She was pretty sure. So she's convinced something happened, I guess. So Lila and Sam drive to the motel. On the way there, they decide to play husband and wife. That way they can uh, get in and kind of sneak around a little bit. Well, Sam distracts Norman. While Lila, uh, after, after they check out the room and don't really find anything except for a piece of paper that proved that she was there because she found $40,000 minus something. So she couldn't get the whole piece of paper, but a little piece of paper said enough that she knew her sister was there. So Norman decides to try and uh, keep, I mean, uh, not Norman, Sam decides to uh, keep Norman busy while he goes up to the, uh, while she sneaks up to the house to talk to the mother. Well, he starts really kind of grilling Norman, which actually, you know, if he'd done this a little cooler, so it worked a little better, but he starts grilling Norman about, well, what would you do with the $40,000? Sounds like a good way to get out, you know, you know, he's asking what questions about if he had enough money to move and stuff, because that's what the suspicion is, that he stole the money, killed her and stole the money. Or maybe she might be still alive, but stole the money from her anyways, so that he could get out of the hotel business, because he's on a, they, once they built the new highway, the place is always at vacant anyway. There's never anyone there. 
Well, he keeps grilling him, grilling him. Eventually, he gets Norman to the point where Norman's so worked up. And when he mentions a $40,000 amount and stuff, is really weird. He goes, where is your wife anyway? Because he had said she was sleeping in the room. He looks out the window at the house and, and decides he freaks out and realizes she might be up the house. So he runs out and runs to the house. And then uh, they get up to the house and Sam uh, isn't there quite yet. She sees him coming up, running up, the, running up toward the house, decides to sneak down because she'd already checked out the rest of the house. And she found an indentation where it looked like someone laid in one position in the mother's bed for a long, long time. But that was like the really only weird thing about it. And then she goes down into the little cellar, walk uh, cellar under the stairs is another set of stairs goes down. So like a fruit cellar. Well, she hides there while he runs upstairs looking for her, goes down looking around in there and finds the mother sitting in a chair. And as she taps on her and spins her around, she realizes it's the corpse of the mother, the mummified. So she screams out really loud. Well, this causes Norman to hear her and runs in dressed in a wig and a dress with, with a kitchen knife again coming at her just before he gets a chance to stab her because he had knocked Sam unconscious back when he took off with some kind of uh, container, heavy container. He, uh, well, Sam had regained consciousness, came in and grabs him and subdues him. And then it just cuts to the uh, other scene there. Cause uh, yeah, they had cuts of the scene where it goes to the uh, sheriff station and they could, the sheriff who had been longtime friend of Sam's, I mean, Norman's, he actually had talked to him for a while and said he couldn't get anywhere with him. Uh, he wouldn't answer anything. Well, the psychiatrist comes out. He goes, well, technically, Norman didn't tell me anything. His mother did. He, go, he explains how Norman had has had a split personality since his father's death. It was a little bit, a little bit of a split personality. He didn't take it well. But then it was just him and his mother for years, and they had a really close, overbearing relationship. Like they were too close. And then the mother finally found a man. And Norman was obsessed and obsessively jealous of this man. So he wound up poisoning both of them. And that's when he assumed her personality as well at this point, because he couldn't live without her because that was his life. So he actually waited down the coffin and stole her body back and used his taxidermy skills to mummify her as best he could and keep her in the house to keep her close. But that's when his, she he decided to take on her personality because he couldn't, it still wasn't enough, wasn't enough to fill that void. So he became her and had conversations with himself. That's why we heard the arguing and stuff. That was him talking to himself but through her his psyche that's broken so they actually could carry on real conversations but in his mind twisted like he felt about her with the jealousy she was jealous like that too so anytime he got interested in a woman or excited by one she would get obsessively um angry as well and take it out on the women and that's why there were a few other missing women cases that also were likely him so then they're going into all that detail there. And then uh, it is official that he did murder. They officially knew that he murdered the uh, the detective, that he murdered the, the, the sister, and obviously had attempted to murder both of them. And he sits in it, so it goes, he's, he's cold. Can, uh, he wants a blanket. Is that okay? So they go to take him a blanket, and they take it into the room and responds in his mother's voice, well, his version of his mother's voice. And then it shows him in that cell sitting with the blanket and his internal thoughts are coming out, but it's in her voice about how 
you know, her bro- her son tried to frame him. Well, she wasn't capable of this. She wouldn't even hurt a fly. And there's a fly crawling on his hand. He's like, see, I'm not even hurting a fly. I hope they're watching. And just goes out like that. And that's kind of how it fades out is, is she's, he's just sitting there. She's, he's, her personality is completely taken over. There's no more Norman. Norman is just gone. And he's going to sit there and be silent for the rest of his life. It's very interesting. And then uh, the very end of the movie, you see Marion's car being retrieved from the swamp. And that is all there is to this one. So before I get into any uh, ratings on this, Lando, what did the box office say on this? Because this is this should have been in there. It's a long-term movie. Oh, yeah, this movie is highly rated in everything. I mean, Rotten Tomato gave it a 96% with an audience score of 95. Google gave it a 87. This movie costed around $806 million, and they only made $50 million in the box office, unfortunately. But, I mean, it happens. But uh, when it comes to my thoughts and stuff, this movie had a great story, but ran kind of slow for the first 30 plus minutes. Haven't watched many of Edward Hitchcock films, but this one I did like a little bit more than I thought I would. If you're looking for something with blood and gore, this ain't the movie for you. The goriest thing you'll find is it is the obvious fake dummy of Norman Bates's mother in the fruit cellar. The thing that I like the most about this film was that the actress that played Marion is actually the real life mother to Jamie Lee Curtis, who we all know from all of the Halloween movies, except for that fucking thing. It was like the second or third one where they didn't even have fucking Michael Myers, but that's a totally different story. Anyways, I love that. I mean, I didn't know that her mom was even an actress till I saw this film talked about and everything. So yeah, it's my overall thoughts. And uh, what about yours, Tim, before we give a rating? You're right. Uh, Blood and Gore, no. But that was typical. We've watched other movies during this time period. Blood and Gore is usually like a secondary. But you did get the feel that the murders were happening. You did kind of, they did a really good job. Like the music, the tempo of the music itself, this is like the originator of that whole thing was this movie, in fact, of using those really sharp loud noises and stuff like that to um, in the music to give you that feel that something really dramatic is going on and yeah it still holds up really well i mean if we're gonna we have to figure out the blood and gore part yes i would have to say i can't give it more than four skulls for that reason um just because of the blood and gore but considering it's a 1960 film still enjoyable today i'm not really sure as any other 1960 film i do enjoy as much as this today period across the board so I would, I'd have to say four out of five skulls went rating for it. Yeah, for me, I gave it a 4.5 skull rating. So, I mean, if it would have had blood and gore, I would have gave it a five for sure. I mean, that shower scene, it could have just used more blood in it. I mean, you see her hands covered in blood, but that's only when she's being dragged out of the bedroom. But yeah, the blood you see going through the drain and stuff, it's obviously fake and they really didn't like thicken up the fake blood or anything it was watered down obviously so but uh yeah i think that's about it for this one i mean i mean it's a good film i highly suggest anyone that wants to watch it to go ahead and watch it so with that being said we will go ahead with my movie which again is land of the dead from 2005 so this movie opens up with a recap of the zombie outbreak during the credits and then we're brought to the time setting of today in a small rundown town zombies are everywhere 
and they seemed to retain some knowledge of their lives before they died. Some zombies are seen trying to play instruments in the town square. A teenage boy zombie holds hands with a female teenage zombie as if they're on a date. See another teenage zombie walking past a gas station where the zombie attendant hears the bell and goes outside to uh, walk up to the gas pump and try to pump gas like somebody has actually figured. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then this gas station zombie, his name apparently was Big Daddy. Watching Big Daddy through binoculars is Riley and his new rookie. Riley sees that the zombies are getting somewhat smarter and that they are thinking more. This worries him. Riley is part of a group of humans who venture out to small towns and gather essential supplies for people back in the last known human city. Riley built a vehicle named Death Reckoning, which is basically a combination of a bus, train, and tank, and is fully loaded with machine guns, rockets, and fireworks. While Riley and the rookie meet up with Cholo, who also has the same job as Riley of collecting supplies, as well as dumping trash in the nearby landfill. Riley tells Cholo that the zombies are thinking that to be careful when they get into town. Cholo brushes off the warning, but Riley gets his point across. It is Riley's last night out, and he brush and he doesn't want anyone dying. Cholo reveals that it's his last night as well, and a figure walking towards Riley and the rookie, but they don't see it. The rookie turns around and sees it and gets ready to blast it all to hell when Riley recognizes it and orders the rookie to lower his weapon. It ends up being his friend Charlie, a man who has like half of his face burnt from a fire. Charlie is slightly retarded and uh, let's see. Charlie and Riley wonder how Cholo is retiring tonight unless he won the lottery. A team of humans get their jeeps motorcycles and proceed to towards the town pretty boy who's actually not a boy at all is the operator of dead rack reckoning she fires off some fireworks over the town all the zombies stare in the sky as their attention is focused on the lights this allows riley and the others to move freely through the town unnoticed the zombie big daddy is the only one that doesn't look at the fireworks he sees his follow his fellow undead companions looking at the sky and he tries to shake their attention from it the humans are just about finished with finding things to the back to bring back home when cholo tells riley that he needs to make just one more stop at a store cholo really is going to the shop to steal alcohol which sells well on the streets back home riley ends up urging him not to go but cholo of course ignores him he takes the rookie and Foxy, but there ends up being something wrong with the fireworks being jammed. The zombies are starting to become aware of the humans in their midst and start to stumble towards them. Riley orders Dead Reckoning and the rest of his team to evacuate and retreat back home. Riley and Charlie will go and bring back Cholo with his men. Dead Reckoning starts to head out and blast away many zombies with its machine guns. Big Daddy sees the danger of the guns and tries to get the other zombies to take cover but they are not getting it he holds onto a zombie's head and tries to push him towards the ground but the machine gun fire blasts the zombie's head 
off, Big Daddy, still holding on to the zombie's head, sees that it's still alive and puts it out of its misery by dropping on the ground and stomping on it. He ends up roaring in rage back at the shop while stealing alcohol. Cholo is jumped by a zombie. Foxy and the rookie can't get a clean shot, but Cholo prevails safely when he pulls his spear gun from his leg and blasts the zombie's brains out with it. He collects the alcohol and stops at the counter. He empties a box and tells the rookie to collect it. Some of it falls behind the counter. Cholo and Foxy wait outside. The rookie reaches over the counter, but a security guard zombie bites and takes a chunk out of his hand. The rookie screams in pain and stumbles outside. Riley and Charlie pull up to the store and see what's happening. Riley blasts the zombie's brains out. Cholo orders Riley to step aside as the rookie is going to be become one of them. Riley argues with about the rookie's fate, but the rookie snatches Riley's pistol and blows his own brains out. This is not how Riley wanted his retirement to start, but Riley, Charlie, Cholo, and Foxy go back to the city before one of the bikers leaves. Big Daddy tries to grab him, but instead grabs his machine gun. Big Daddy doesn't know what to do with it, but slings it over his shoulder and starts to walk in the direction that dead reckoning is going. The other zombies, including a butcher zombie, a tambourine playing zombie from the town square, a blonde female athlete zombie wearing a woman's red softball uniform with the number nine printed on it, as well as some teenage zombie couples and several others end up following him. Arriving back at their base in an underground tunnel leading under the city, Cholo and Foxy watch a commercial for Fiddler's Green, a upper-class community that resides on the hill overlooking the city. It has like its own mall, bank, and restaurants with tuxedo-wearing waiters, and, and only the wealthy are allowed to live there, and everyone else has to live under the streets. The city is fortified with electrical fences and soldiers staying on guard. At the barrier, a stray zombie tries to climb the fence but is electrocuted and shot to pieces. The city is surrounded by water on all sides and the main way to get into the city is called the throat, which is a bridge. And uh, turns out that uh, Cholo wants to retire in Feathers Green and he is confident that Kaufman, the owner and manager, will allow him to enter. Riley confronts Cholo about the rookie's death, but Cholo tells him that's the price they pay, and they all knew the risks that come with the job. Cholo takes the finest alcohol he stole and starts to head over to Fiddler's Green. Riley and Charlie give antibiotics to a homeless man's son, and they head over to a garage. Riley invested his money in a car, and he is going to drive away from the place with a little less people somewhere north like Canada. But his car ends up being gone, and he is not happy about it. I mean, I don't blame him. Riley and Charlie head off to meet Chihuahua, who had promised Riley the car. Cholo goes through Fiddler's Green Lavish Mall and eventually makes his way to Kaufman's office on the top floor of the building. He pours some champagne into glasses and gives one to Kaufman. Cholo tells him that he is going to retire with all the money Kaufman owes him. Kaufman, however, 
tells him that the space is limited in Fiddler's Green. Cholo sees right through the statement, and the millionaire tells him that only certain people are allowed to live there. Kaufman basically tells him that he is not good enough to live there and sends in a security officer. Kaufman tells Cholo that they will talk again when Cholo is less excited and sends him away. He tells the security officer that he will no longer need Cholo's services. He understands and tries to kill Cholo in the stairway, but Cholo is smarter and knocks him out. This double cross is the last straw for Cholo. He ends up leaving. He'll end up going back to Riley and Riley and Charlie, who go to Chihuahua's underground place, which is basically like a Vegas type of joint where people can gamble and buy prostitutes. People can even take a picture with a zombie at a booth, kind of like a picture booth almost. And here's a fun fact that both Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright of Shaun of the Dead actually played zombies in the booths in this movie. So that's pretty cool. Anyways, uh, Chihuahua, he ends up being this like midget who acts all tough, but couldn't hold his own, couldn't even hold his own in a fight. Riley confronts him about his car, but he says that he'll find it soon. He signals one of his guards to keep an eye on Riley. Tonight is a new night of betting. People bet on which zombie win a fight one zombie is spray painted across his mouth with black paint and the other is sprayed with red paint in order to make them fight they throw in a prostitute named slack she tries desperately to fend off the two zombies while the crowd of gamblers cheer for the zombies for their zombie to win riley sees what's going on sees that no one is going to help this poor woman and he ends up shooting both the zombies in the head. The shots prompt panic, and everyone rushes to get out. And uh, Chihuahua, he tries to leave too, but Charlie pulls out his rifle, licks the barrel for some reason, aims carefully, and blasts Chihuahua's head right off. One of Chihuahua's men tries to shoot Riley, but Slack kicks him out of the way and takes a bullet for him in her arm. Charlie ends up killing the other man, the police arrive and demand to know what's going on. All that is left is Riley, Charlie, and Slack. Riley just tells them someone shot the little man. Meanwhile, Big Daddy and the other zombies get to the blocked pathway. They don't know how to end up getting in, but Big Daddy sees the butcher still holding his meat cleaver. He signals him for him to hit the board, blocking them with his cleaver. The butcher ends up doing that until Big Daddy can see through it. A couple of zombies suddenly appear in the front of the hole of the board. Big Daddy sees that they are hung upside down. He looks around and sees other zombies hanging upside down as well and having targets wrapped around their bodies. Big Daddy sees his target for all the pain his fellow zombies have endured, which is obviously Fiddler's Green. Riley, Charlie, and, and Slack are in city jail. Charlie asks Slack why she was put in the cage with the zombies. She tells him that she wanted to become a soldier, but someone else thought she would be better as a whore and put her on the streets. Riley tells her that she didn't answer Charlie's question. Slack tells them that Kaufman runs everything in and around Fiddler's Green. 
from the bedding to the prostitution. She tried to help out some of the people of whom Kaufman didn't think too highly, and so he sends her to the cage fight. Slag asks Riley what his story is, and he says he has and he says nothing bad ever happened to him. She says that the zombies happened to everyone, and that's bad. Riley is not one for conversation, so Slag just pulls out a joint from her boot and smokes it. I'd be doing the same fucking thing. <laughs> uh, then you can go back to Cholo, Foxy, Pretty Boy, and this guy Mouse, and several others who decide to steal Dead Reckoning and hold Feathers Green for ransom. They tried to pass uh, old papers as the current ones, requesting them to take Dead Reckoning from the soldier's hands, but the soldier to whom they give the papers to doesn't buy it. Cholo hears gunfire and takes out his gun, warning what it is. The soldier says that it's nothing to worry about, that it's just target practice for all the other soldiers. Meanwhile, two other soldiers wasting time and shooting at a giant inflatable person. The soldier is saying that he would shoot better if the other soldier wouldn't keep breathing down his neck. The other soldier is confused and he is telling him that he's not even close to the soldier. He turns on the light behind him and searches around the ground. He doesn't see anything, but he hears something out there. Suddenly, Big Daddy appears with the hordes of zombies and attacks the two soldiers. Cholo hears the screams and asks if they're practicing screaming too. The alarm goes off and the soldiers leave Cholo and his crew unguarded. They take dead reckoning and see that Big Daddy and the zombies are knocking over a non-electric fence. Soldiers are blasting the zombies, but they are too many of them. They knock the fence down and feast upon the soldiers, tearing them apart. The soldiers are getting slaughtered. Cholo and everybody else take off with dead reckoning upon seeing the vehicle. Big Daddy remembers what it did to the other zombies and squeezes his machine gun with his hand. It fires into the ground. He then points the gun at dead reckoning and fires at it. He hits it, but some of the shots miss and blow up a propane tank. And one of the zombies ends up catching on fire. He ends up shooting and killing him to put him out of his misery as well. Big Daddy sees Fiddler's Green across the body of water and starts to move towards it. And all the other zombies and everyone just jumps in. Cholo contacts Kaufman who is a bit annoyed that he is still alive. Cholo tells Kaufman the deal. Kaufman will give him and his crew $5 million or he will blow Fiddler's Green apart using dead reckoning. He wants the money transported to the port. Kaufman has until midnight, which is a, just a couple hours away. Kaufman talks to the other businessman and tells him that he will not deal with terrorists. However, However, Dead Reckoning could destroy their lifestyle and community. Kaufman ends up pulling Riley out of jail and brings him to his office, telling him what uh, Cholo did with Dead Reckoning, and then he wants it back. And he ends up telling him that he wants Cholo brought back dead or alive. Riley ends up telling him that he wants all his friends on the mission. Kaufman allows it and ends up, uh, and, uh, All Riley wants in return is a car and plenty of weapons to last him a long time. He is fully prepared to travel to Canada in the hopes of less people and zombies. 
Kaufman agrees while Riley and Kaufman are discussing their deal. Charlie and Slack are talking back in jail. Charlie tells Slack that he takes care of Riley. Slack asks why. Charlie says that Riley pulled him out of the fire that scarred him and that they have been friends ever since. Cholo is working out in Dead Reckoning while talking to Foxy. Cholo justifies his actions by saying that unless he does something, he's going to end up like a poor bastard outside, which he's referring to as this zombie that can clearly be seen with a lawnmower outside of Dead Reckoning. Cholo ends up stopping his workout, pulls out a spear gun, and shoots the zombie right in the eye. Cholo then orders Mouse to go to the port and wait for Kaufman's boat. Mouse will then report back to Cholo if they are rich or not. Mouse gets off dead reckoning on his skateboard and goes to a boathouse on the port. He gets scared by the movement within the boathouse, but it turns out to be rats. Riley, Slack, and Charlie are released from jail and are getting geared up with their weapons from the army. A soldier offers Charlie a machine gun that fires 18 bullets a second, but Charlie says he doesn't need that many and prefers his rifle. The soldier refers to Charlie as a retard. Riley ends up telling the soldiers that he shouldn't make fun of him. Slack takes the machine gun happily, but Kaufman doesn't completely trust Riley and his friends. So in come three soldiers that will make sure Riley's Riley doesn't fail. A tough Latino named uh, named uh, Menelode. Not sure how you say his name, but and then there's a wisecracking female soldier named Mohouse or Motown, and this big Samoa soldier named Pillsbury. They head to the army post where they get a vehicle and they find it in flames and ruined from the previous massacre that had to take place when Cholo left. They search the nearby parts for the keys for a jeep with Riley and that uh, Mexican soldier that I can't get the name right going off on their own while Charlie and everyone else hang around the jeep. Riley and the other soldier come across a severed foot in an army boot in a supply room. It is dark except for the other soldier's flashlight. They hear a dripping sound upon further further searching they find a couple of zombies feasting on the dead bodies the other soldier is ready to blast them away with his machine gun but riley tells him that they should use their handguns they blast the zombies away and they encounter the soldier that was checking the slip earlier is now a zombie and chewing on a firmer bone riley blasts his brains out as well outside motown decides to hotwire the jeep charlie licks his rifles licks his rifle and aims at something lurking about slack asks him why he licks his gun and he just says that it prevents the reflection from getting into his vision slack asks him how he can even see seeing how his aiming eye is on his burnt side of his face he points the rifle at her face she gets scared and pulls out her machine gun but Charlie was really aiming direct next to Slack and blasts the zombie square in the forehead. She aims her machine gun at Charlie and pulls the trigger, but she was returning the favor by killing a zombie behind him. However, the shot was so close to Charlie that his ear 
starts to bleed and he complains about her not getting shot by him. Riley and the other soldier meet up with the other team at the Jeep. Once they all end up getting into the Jeep, a decapitated zombie walks up behind Menelote and freaks him out. The zombie is not completely decapitated, though. The head was hanging behind his back. The zombie snaps his head forward and bites the soldier in the arm. Pillsbury kills the zombie and they drive off. Turns out that Riley can track dead reckoning with a homing device he placed on it. Riley also reels that his little brother was bitten by a zombie. And under that, an hour, he turns and Riley had to kill him. Slack tells him that he was lying when he said nothing bad ever happens to him. He says coldly, nothing bad happened to me that happened to my brother. Slack turns around and kills the soldier since he is going to die anyways. Meanwhile, Big Daddy and the other zombies are at the lake and they are staring at the water. They all end up jumping in and everything. So it uh, turns back to Slack driving the Jeep and Riley tells her quickly to pull over as she does. And Charlie holds Pillsbury and Motown at gunpoint. Riley knows that Kaufman will probably not live up to their deal and probably paid off all three soldiers to kill him and his friends once they find dead reckoning. Riley tells them once they find dead reckoning, he will do whatever he wants with it. If they have a problem, they will be killed. They continue to drive and locate dead reckoning. Meanwhile, Mouse informs Cholo that the money didn't come make it. He then blasts away a zombie that tried to get into the bowhouse. When he goes to inspect the body, he is overrun by zombies, including one dressed like a clown, as they eat him. Big Daddy and his clan cross the lake and head to the streets of the human city. The zombies first attack two girls who were making out, then they attack everyone. The zombies are using shovels and chains and guns and knives and everything and various different weapons as means of dismembering everybody in it is it is total chaos in the streets below Fraylor's green the butcher hacks off another soldier's hand still holding a grenade and the soldier falls onto his own hand the grenade explodes and of course blows up the soldier in half the female softball zombie manages to grab a m16 assault rifle from a scared soldier she doesn't know what to do with it either and this gives the soldier some time to reach for his backup weapon big daddy comes in but comes by and shows her how to pull the trigger he directs the machine gun from firing into the ground to firing into the soldier's crotch then into his belly then into his upper body the uh, softball zombie she ends up uh, dropping her bat and now holds onto the rifle and opens fire on more humans until she runs out of ammunition. The tambourine zombie drops his tambourine to take a crowbar and uses it as a weapon. Riley and his group find end up finding dead reckoning. Pillsbury punches out Motown, thus being trusted by Riley. Riley and Charlie walk out to dead reckoning alone while Pillsbury and Slack hide in the nearby nearby bushes. Motown is left in the Jeep, knocked out. Riley and Charlie eventually talk their way into the vehicle, but are held at gunpoint by Cholo and his men. Cholo pulls out 
his spear gun and holds it underneath Riley's chin. Pretty Boy gets ready to fire the rockets at Fiddler's Green. Riley protests mainly because even if they hit the hit it dead center, the destruction will kill many innocent people in the streets below. Slack sees that they are in danger and she is ready to fire. Motown wakes up, grabs a gun, and runs to the vehicle. She gets jumped by a zombie who bites and rips a chunk off her neck. Riley hears her screaming and sees Slack in the bushes and pushes Cholo out of dead reckoning. Slack fires and hits Cholo in the stomach. She and Pillsbury then blow away Motown and the other zombie that attacked her. Charlie gets his gun back and turns the table on Cholo's crew. Kaufman sees and hears the explosions outside the streets below and thinks that dead reckoning has fired upon the city. Riley tells him on a phone that it's not Cholo. Kaufman then fills out a couple bags with money and he is getting ready to leave. One of the businessmen sees what Kaufman is doing. Kaufman tells him to get down because there are zombies nearby. The guy gets on the floor without thinking and Kaufman shoots him in the back of the head with no zombies even even near them. Kaufman, along with his black servant, head down towards the mall. Riley allows Cholo to leave with Foxy and gives them their guns back. Riley then takes over Cholo's crew and Pretty Boy turns dead reckoning towards the city to save people. Cholo and Foxy start to walk away as they encounter a zombie. The zombie bites Cholo and he stabs the zombie right in the head with a knife. Cholo is now doomed and Foxy aims his shotgun at his head and says, it's your call. Cholo says no and says a bunch of other shit like just nonsense. Yeah, they end up taking the jeep that Riley used to get there and drive back to the city. Cholo has a score to settle with Kaufman. Cholo wishes Foxy the best of luck and Foxy drives away without Cholo. He starts to walk towards Fiddler's Green. Big Daddy and the zombies end up entering the mall and start killing everybody. And yeah, it just ends up being another attack on all the rich and everything. Kaufman ends up uh, going to the basement or whatever, where his servant unlocks the flashy car and then goes to open the garage door. While he is gone, Big Daddy sneaks up onto the car and starts to smash it with his bare hands. The servant sees the zombie and runs away in the opposite direction with the car keys. <laughs> Big Daddy sees the gas nozzle nearby and starts to pour gasoline all over the car. He smashes the windshield with the nozzle and starts pouring the gas inside of the car as well. Big Daddy then leaves. Also, some of the people who survived the attacks on the mall and on the streets are now running to the gates of the city however the gates are still electrocuted zombies are still following them and they are trapped they end up all dying too (laughs) meanwhile dead reckoning is just outside of the city's main bridge riley has to get off and open the gate seeing how it is up while he goes outside and pushes the button to lower the bridge dead reckoning is bombarded with hordes of zombies zombies are scratching at the vehicle breaking their own fingers and fingernails and shit. Kind of gross. One of the undead lunges for Riley and causes him to drop his gun. He yells out for Slack to kill it, 
but she's having her own problems with the zombies directly outside. Riley manages to decapitate the zombie using some controls from the bridge. Pretty Boy drives Dead Reckoning around, crushing most of the zombies around them. Slack tells Riley to jump on the roof. As he does, he almost misses the uh, clutch of zombies. They cross the bridge to get to the city, but they don't see a legless zombie still holding onto the vehicle on the back. Kaufman gets out of his vehicle, looks around for Big Daddy. He gets out to get the second set of car keys from his own bag and plans to drive out himself. Instead, Cholo comes from the shadows and pulls out his spear gun. He misses Kaufman and ends up getting shot in the chest and he ends up not going down. Kaufman shoots him again in the leg. Absolutely nothing. He shoots him in the shoulder. Cholo slowly slumps to the ground. While Kaufman is not looking, Cholo gets back up and attacks him. Kaufman ends up being out of bullets and Cholo now is a zombie and Big Daddy returns with a propane tank that is set on fire. He rolls it towards the car as it's still drenched with gasoline and it explodes killing both the zombie Cholo and Kaufman and uh, of course Big Daddy's pretty big happy about that one. Um, Dead Reckoning finally reaches the city but they only find zombies eating people. It seems like they are no survivors left in the city. Riley orders Charlie and Pretty Boy to fire the rockets at the zombies to destroy them. She does, and the zombies explode everywhere. When the smoke clears, Riley sees that nothing is moving, everyone is dead, but then they slowly come out of hiding and walk towards Dead Reckoning, end up being that they did survive, or at least some people survived. They uh, end up uh, planning to rebuild the city, and uh, Riley, who ends up Riley, who still wants to leave for Canada, Slack, Pretty Boy, Pillsbury, Charlie, and the other two people in Dead Reckoning agree, and they plan on going with Riley. Riley sees Big Daddy once again through his binoculars, who is leading the zombies out of the zo- out of the city. He decides not to kill him, though, because the zombies are only looking for their own place to live, just like Riley and his friends are. The legless zombie on the back of the vehicle jumps onto a crew member but Pillsbury manages to kill the zombie. Riley and his crew take off to Canada in dead reckoning and fire all of the remaining fireworks in the sky since they will no longer be needing them and that is my movie. So um, yeah I just oof, I just really love this movie. I mean I picked George Romero for a fucking reason. I mean, I've been loving the man's work since I was a little kid. I know we've reviewed one of his movies before, but uh, when it comes to Rotten Tomato and everything, they gave it a 74 with an audience score of 51, which both of those scores are pretty damn low, in my opinion. I would have gave it at least a 80, 85%, in my opinion. Uh, Google, again, another low one, 73. This movie had a budget of 15 to 19 million dollars it made about 46.8 million in the box office so before i talk about my overall thoughts what are yours there tim it's action-packed throughout the whole movie for starters i mean you don't get bored like you said yeah the alpha chishcock one but back in the 60s suspense build up was common is less than some 
but this one here right from the get-go you get that you start right off in the war zone so it starts off there the lull is actually a little bit later and it's not even that much of a lull because of you know trying to kill Juro right immediately upon return you know it's like oh yeah i'm gonna have a drink with you and then oh by the way kill him him he's useless now because he wants to move up and he can't so yeah it's a lot of action the gore is much better much more gore uh, the chopping off of the zombie's head with the bridge, uh, when the bridge is going up and it chops off that zombie, that's pretty good. The flip-flop um, zombie that attacks them in the Jeep when they're taking off. Okay, that one there, the first time I saw this, freaked me out a little bit. I did not see that coming. I was like, what the? And then he literally shot him through the like neck and hit his head through the body. Was, I mean, it wasn't like a direct shot because the zombie flipped his head back again. It was almost like Transformer or something <laughs> the way that he was working. So for me, I mean, I like that as almost a humor, but yet freaky at the same time. Well done. So yeah, I really like this movie. I've watched it before. I just didn't remember it until I started watching it. And yeah, this one here, I'd definitely watch again. So I gave this one 4.5 skulls. Nice. Yeah, like you said, I would watch this over and over again. I mean, I fucking have the movie on dvd so of course i would watch it over again but uh yeah as i've stated in the past i love george romero movies i've seen just about all of them all of them except for one i think it might have been the uh diary of the dead that i haven't seen yet from what i heard it wasn't that good anyways but this one though had a great story with plenty of blood and gore even the action was amazing from start to fucking finish awesome cast of actors and actresses i mean you got fucking dennis hopper in this fucking movie or not dennis hopper yeah dennis hopper wasn't it the guy that played uh kaufman yeah dennis harper yeah yep. yeah so you got him you got fucking uh john whatever his last name is i forget his name he played cholo in this yep I forget his name you might know him from like the movie pest and shit like that but uh yeah had it like i said great cast of actors and actresses the ending was pretty amazing with kind of like a happy ending to the mix so with that being said i gave this one a five skull rating i mean i just like i said i'm a huge romero fan but uh yeah i think that's about it for this episode so with that being said if you guys got any movie suggestions as always you can email us at what podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on our twitter that's what podcast all one word and also join our discord if you want but anyways as always i've been your host lando and i've been tim and we are the fuck out of here you were listening to what in the whore see you next time <laughs>